This week's Filmmakers Podcast is brought to you by Massive, the fastest way to send and receive massive film and video files. Send uncompressed dailies, locked pictures, DCPs and more with Massive. Spelt M-A-S-V. Keep listening to hear how you can receive 100 gigabytes for free towards your next transfer. Massive. The Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 236 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today on the show, we have the fantastic director, Anne Ho. She is the Academy Award-winning director, no less, of the movie Shadow Magic, which was a debut which starred Jared Harris, won the Chinese Academy Award and premiered at Sundance. And her second film, Confetti, which is out in US cinemas now. Literally now, you can go to the theatre slash cinemas, whatever you want to call them, in the USA and Canada now. You can see this movie. It is a delight. Confetti is based on Anne Hu's actual story. The question is how far would a mother go to reverse her child's fate? And that's the question facing Lan, uh, played by Zuzu, who travels with her nine-year-old daughter Mimi, played by Hermani He, from the small town in China to New York City. It is a brilliant film. It's impossible to get out of your mind. It's heartfelt. It's sincere. It is stunningly shot and constructed. And it's in cinemas now in the US. Do go see it. I'll let you all know when it'll be out in the UK, when it will be released in the UK as well. But myself and Anne sat down and had an absolute delightful chat about her career, about how she raises money and about making confetti. We talk about why. You should take ideas from real life. We also talk in depth about how she finds cash, how she finds money, investors, how she puts it all together for her films. We also talk about confidence in accepting awards and why you should listen to a producer's thoughts before you pitch yours. We talk about why having an independent voice is good. We also talk about how you can keep actors active on set, why you should work with the right people and why you should write your own script. All that is to come on this week's Filmmakers Podcast for you amazing people. Thank you so much for listening. Honestly, it means the world to me. And I do hope you get a lot out of this. I hope you're inspired by what we're talking about and how we're passionate about making films and how you can too. And if you're already making them, how you can keep going. Because it's difficult, this journey. It really is. But it is doable. And suddenly things fall into place for you and they will happen for you if you work hard enough, find the right people and find a brilliant script if you're not the script writer. If you are, make it the best it can be. And that means getting feedback. Do it. Don't sit in your room and just think, oh, I want to be a filmmaker one day. Do something about it. Do it now. Literally, after you've listened to this, be inspired now and send that email, write that script, do whatever it is you have to do to make your film. That's what you want to do. Go do it. We have a huge shout out today to the fantastic Elizabeth Lishmund, uh, who contacted me via Nina Rebeska because she has an Indiegogo campaign on the go-go right now for her brand new World War II film called Fighting 
Girlfriend. And it is a film based on a true war Soviet heroine called Mariah Oktyabrushskaya. Head to Indiegogo now and type in Fighting Girlfriend and find out more about this incredible project. Link is in the show notes. We also have to give a massive shout out to our brand new sponsors, Massive, spelled M-A-S-V, the incredible file sharing service. And if you want 100 gigabytes free to transfer files now, then go sign up. Massive.io forward slash filmmakers. Link is in the show notes to that and to Elizabeth's film as well. Get involved. And also to our Patreon site where we have amazing bonus episodes, more and more stuff about filmmaking. Come support us. Come be part of the team. If you like us, give us that five-star review on iTunes right now. And if you love us, tell all your friends. This is how we grow. With the Filmmakers Podcast people, come join our tribe. Oh yes, uh, Fright Fest this week, this Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I will be there in the evenings. Come say hello. First night, we've got the Kindred on the Thursday. Opening night, I will be there. Because my producers of Followers, which I also produced, is on Friday the 27th. Come and join us if you can. If there's any tickets left, I'm at the 820 performance. And then on Saturdays, Dom Lemoire's produced When the Screaming Starts. Fright Fest this coming weekend, slightly before that because it starts on Thursday come say hello if you're there don't be shy right this is it a brilliant chat with Anne who she's amazing she's so inspiring sit back relax get your pens and paper out and afterwards do something to go make your film here is Anne who on the Filmmakers Podcast hello hi 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 how are you I'm good how are you Very beautiful, wonderful. Excellent. That's what we like to hear. Are you in New York right now? Yes, I'm mean, back in New York City. How is it there at the moment? Is there a lot of activity? I know in London, films are happening all the time. Is oh, it similar? Oh, you're, you're in London? I'm in London, yeah. Oh, that's exciting too. Well, New York, as a matter of fact, I think it's better than ever, in a sense. First of all, it's mm. not super crowded. Mm-hmm. As, you know, uh, like... Too many tourists, yeah. You know, I mean, otherwise it would be like five to ten times more crowded. Oh, that's good. But in terms of films and films getting made, do you think a lot more is happening right now? A crew's very busy? You know, that's a different story. I think, you know, I understand, you know, for example, from my uh, casting director that they had a, uh, a film that's supposed, a big one that's supposed to happen. They have to shut down the production again. Oh. That was that was just last week. So, uh, you know, it's very, very unpredictable. And for my film, Mm-hmm. This is the third time in the U.S. that we're launching. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it how amazing. the pandemic's yeah. changed everything? But now you can have sort of three releases. We can go again and people will come and see this beautiful movie because it is beautiful. It's really well done. Thank you so much. You watched it? Of course. Of oh, course. I get sent a screener link. Luckily, the perks of the job, I get sent a screener wow, link. And wow. it's beautiful. It's so good. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, gee. And interestingly, with Competti, it is your. It is based on the true story as well about about your life. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? That'd be really interesting. Where ideas come from for our listeners It's mainly filmmakers who listen to this podcast, and it'd be really interesting where stories come from for you. And obviously, with Competti, it is a true story. Or Or, or bits you could tell us. Yeah, as you can tell, I'm an immigrant. You know, I came to uh, the U.S. in 1979, which was 40 years ago. And so I did go through all the, uh, you know, like uh, working full time, all jobs, and going to school full time, 
And uh, uh, eventually, you know, like I had my first career in business, then, you know, second career in, uh, in filmmaking. But uh, after I made a couple of film, a few films, and uh, then, you know, I had a daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so when she was about like three years old, her English teacher in China, at that point, I wanted my daughter to grow up, to grow up in a uh, in Chinese speaking uh, environment mm-hmm. and uh, because the Chinese culture is very difficult to acquire I feel it's 5,000 years old civilization mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and the English is uh, relatively easier because everyone speaks English nowadays so I feel like just to raise her up in, uh, in China in Beijing where I was growing up but I mean when she was three you know her English teacher of the kindergarten uh, told me that your daughter has something called dyslexia and at that point you know I really couldn't figure out what this was what was this all about and I uh, researched you know over internet and but in Chinese there wasn't anything almost um, and in English, it's difficult to understand as to, and because there are so many uh, different translations and, you know, and but then gradually, really just through her journey and trying to find out what really was, and then eventually bring her to New York to try to find the school that can teach her mm-hmm. from one school to another. And eventually, you know, realizing she cannot be changed. She can only grow, you know, you have to, you you are not trying to mold her in a way she's not, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's like, uh, it's about accepting and also uh, celebrating what she is. For that part, I guess, half of the story that, you know, in the film that when the mother was a janitor from China and, you know, came to this country with her daughter together, that was a little fictionalized, but I was an immigrant and I did come to this country. So that part of the script was very easily developed because all the details and the plots are just right there. You just, you don't even need to look. It's just right inside of you. You just see whatever comes up convenient. You know? <laughs> so you, yeah, you just give it to the character. Yeah, yeah, so and then eventually, I guess, after making this film, you know, I sort of like a rewalked um, this journey again. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a sense, uh, it's like another way of reflecting uh, what I saw. It's ju- not just me, of course, it's intimate. It's really about, you know, like there's so many parents, so many kids that you run into having exactly the same problem and mm. the same struggle. So you, you could you could feel their anxiety, you know, like you could feel their desire, you know, like every person's different because they may be driven by something that is like much more ambitious for their children mm. or like uh, uh, much more um, negative could be, you know, or, you know, it's like every parent has a different dream. Seems. So it's a learning process. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to show all that. So when people see that, they probably see themselves in it mm. and then realize, okay, well, you know, we're all okay. Yes. <laughs> you know? And it's beautiful that you could, you know, translate that onto screen and make that into a film. I love that when writers, directors, producers, they they take aspects of their real life. And I think it's almost impossible not to, as screenwriters, directors, producers, to take things from our actual life, because where else are we going to get it from? Other movies, other people's stories. But 
when we're directing it, we still take aspects of our life. We can't help it, right? I never uh, deviated from uh, mm. my own life. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. My first film was yeah. about this person who's making his first film. You know? Yeah, Shadow yeah, Magic, and, right? Your yeah, first yeah, movie, yeah. yes. Yeah, and then the second one, I mean, at that point, I just had a divorce and I, I felt, you know, badly hurt and bitter. Ah. So I, ma I made this film, Beauty Remains, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, there was a lot of confusion in my life. So I gave all those confusions to the, char uh, to the characters. And there are four beautiful women mm -hmm. at four different uh, life stages. And uh, having different uh, emotional struggles and trying to find the answer at that point, you know. Yeah. So eventually, I guess there's no answer. It's just like uh, all the beautiful women, they make mistakes. And all the uh, handsome men, they make mistakes too. Mm. So, I mean, there's no no one to actually blame. You're just growing up. That's that's that, you know. That's it, yes. Yeah, so that's my second film, you know, like about this uh, man-woman relationship. But... It's more analytical in a sense, in a in the most stylish way, mm. and uh, mm. it just so happens, you know, I I was lucky to get the A plus kind of like the actors at that point, oh, totally. and uh, so yeah. so it was like a very special, unique, beautiful uh, project. Yes. And in the end, I was cured. Yeah, you know, I I totally Were grew you? out of it. Yeah, Yay. I totally grew out of it. That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> we always do though. These heartaches really do hurt, and they stick with us. There's always something that hurts, but over time that hurt kind of gets covered over by other amazing people or things or other hurts that overtake that <laughs> hurt. No hurt, no hurt. Well, like. Yeah, yeah, please, no more hurt. <laughs> but, but with your first film, you know, which is, you know, Academy Award, did you win in China or did you, were you nominated? No, Cr I won. You won, won. exactly. Yeah, yeah, I won. <laughs> not, not only, yeah, not only, uh, and also, you know what, the, uh, um, the other film in the end, was Crouching Tiger. So it's like, I went over a Crouching Tiger. It's unbelievable. But, you yes. know, like, uh, it's like amazing. I guess uh, my film probably at that point is more appealing to the Chinese audience. Mm. So, uh, uh, so probably that was the reason. And uh, there's no doubt Crouching Tiger is a, uh, a tremendous film. I mean, you know. Tremendous, sure. Yeah, tre tremendous film. The fact that you won, you know, Academy Award in China for it, as it's shadow magic. It's brilliant. You had Jared Harris in it as well, who's yeah. starred in The Crown recently and um, well, right. Chernobyl. He's British, yeah. Brilliant. He's British and an amazing actor, right? How did it, because you studied at New York Film Academy, right? In right, New York, New York uh, University. Yeah. University. Now, from there, how did you go about trying to make your first film? Because it's always difficult. We come out of film schools or we come out of universities and we're trying to make our first films. How did you manage to make your first film and it become an Academy Award winner in China? What was the process of actually you finding the story, finding the money? Talk us through that. Right. Actually, you know, like one of my producers told me that there's a blessing in every delay. Yeah, nice. You know, like, yeah. uh, so you know, basically, uh, I tried so hard to raise money and then uh, finding producers who can help. And mm -hmm. But it was basically hopeless after a while. But, you you know, like, uh, get to know the industry a little bit. And you went to Cannes. And then you spoke to people uh, internationally. And uh, and they also, one good thing is that they always, they all said, oh, it was an interesting story. 
Well, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how much is out of politeness or encouragement or how much is true because, very English. you know, but there's a difference, you know, like uh, um, normally when people say, well, it's very interesting, you know, you, you know, it can be black and both, white. Yes, both ways. Yes. Yeah. But when they say, wow, it's really an interesting story. It, there's a little truth in it, it seems. Okay. But mm-hmm. so, you know, like while waiting for money, at that point, I was still hopeful and so I basically just keep on doing the paperwork, paper, I mean, preparation, preparation, pre- preparation. Mm-hmm. So I did a color color theme of each scene. Wow. And so in general, I mean, for the entire film, you have a color color tone. And for each specific scene, each specific person, you have different tone. And I had a... Uh, actually, all those color tones all mm-hmm. painted out and all, all draw out. And also with the, with the uh, storyboard, a storyboard, most of the scenes, it's like uh, when you uh, practice piano and you don't have a piano, then you copy yep. a paper, paper keyboard. Mm-hmm. And you just keep every day playing like paper keyboard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I did it. that for a while. And uh, then eventually there was absolutely, you know, like a, no one commit uh, committed. So I figured, well, I guess I'll just get it started regardless whether I had enough money to put film in the can. I just have to do this. Otherwise, I would, you know, basically I cannot continue living. So basically, <laughs> I, yeah, I took out, you know, I cash flow it. I took out, you know, like uh, my saving. Wow. And, uh, uh, and uh, then it's like $100,000 each time. And then uh, I took I took the money to a Beijing film studio. And I told them, well, you know, we're still raising money and there are parties that are interested. Mm-hmm. But right now, you know, I only have, uh, at that point, I have half a million dollars after all this, you know. And so I said, well, here's half a million dollars. Uh-huh. I know it's far from being enough, but I think, you know, like uh, there's a person who can make it happen. And that is you. And, uh, and so well, what? <laughs> so I said, yeah, I mean, it's you, it's you guys. If you are going to help me, it's going to happen. And so I said, here's here's half a million dollars here, right here. Okay. Wow, wow. Which you, which was your money, your own personal yeah, money. Yeah, oh I, I said, it's oh yours. Gosh. Just make it happen. <gasps> and just put the film in the can. The rest we will worry later. So, uh, um, so then Beijing Film Studio, actually, the crew people, in the beginning, they all came in very strong because they worked with Bertolucci, you know, they worked mm-hmm. with, you know, like all the award-winning films, you know, like they've seen all the big directors around the world. So now I got this little person who is like... Uh, mm-hmm. Totally inexperienced and had no money, but tremendously ambitious and, Indeed. you know, and, and I want to make this. But eventually they turned around and they took out their reserves to help me out and became all the uh, in-kind contribution. But while mm. we're starting shooting, while we're shooting, the people that I contacted in the past, uh, like Taiwan Film Studio, I mean, mm-hmm. Taiwan Central Motion Picture, they sent two reps to come to the um, to the set in Beijing mm-hmm. and saw that, you know, like, oh, you look good. You know, when are you go to you go to set? You know, like you got excited. Right? People get excited when they come to set. Yeah, things are happening. Yeah. yeah, and also this is real. This is not, you know, some, you know, like story this person's making up. So this is real. 
So they committed, I guess, about less than 5% of the uh, total budget. But uh, they were great negotiators. They got, uh, I guess, 13% of the the share. (laughs) (laughs) They did very well. Yeah, so so they they did very well. And then one of the American film producers, Sandra Schoberg, she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she's two times lifetime, um, you know, achievement award from uh, Berlin Film Festival and also from IFP here in the US. At that point, you know, she contacted a um, German company, uh, you know, Road Movies, a Vin Vendors company. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know. Yeah. So finally, they agreed to come up with 10% of the film budget. And uh, for the European right, I guess, or German right. Okay, that's fantastic. And then there's another friend who came to the set. His company just gone public. He's uh, Japanese, uh, Chinese Japanese. So he said, okay, he put in 10%. So we put the film in the can, right? Yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, we're back to the U.S. And then the post-production company, at that point, they just watched Andy's film, Crouching Tiger. And they thought my film was like another crushing tiger so they feel this is a great opportunity so they said you know what we're going to wrap we're going to uh, take care of all the post-production okay and we want certain shares and i said great yes yes please please and of course it didn't become crouching tiger (laughs) crouching tiger made how many millions i don't know but Mm -hmm. i mean it's definitely doing so well Yes, but your film, but your film did well, and obviously they took a nice percentage yeah. of it as well. But at the yeah. same time, you know, Academy Award winning know, is is incredible. How, did you did you expect that? Did you know going in? Obviously not going in. We all expect big things, but was there a point when? I mean, it's an amazing story, but was there a point when you thought, "Hang on, we we kind of keep winning awards. We're doing well here." Hello, is this actually going to be nominated for an Academy Award? No, but the thing is, my problem is this. I was young. You know, when you're young, your your expectation is like, uh, sky mm. is the limit, right? Yes, yes. But I did remember, like, uh, the first time that I was going to the uh, premiere of um, Shadow Magic. Actually, it was my first premiere, and it was huge. I was in Beijing, right? It was a huge Millennium Film opening, and it was really my first time going ever going to a premiere. I was really kind of like uh, scared, actually, you know, mm. the day before the week coming up to it. So I was like, uh, what, you know, like, uh, what am I going to do, you know, on the premiere and going up? And it's like the first time in my life, right? So I was, I was like really bewildered in a sense. But then yes. I, I told myself, stop. This is only the first stop. Okay. This is nothing. Your, your world, your award and your whatever is way out there. Okay. This is nothing. So basically, you suddenly feel very confident. Because, mm. I mean, this is like nothing. Okay, so, I mean, this is just a beginning. And your goal is much further than this. So suddenly, you got your confidence back. Love that. I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, yeah. that's amazing. Then, then you just find your footing, your balance, mm-hmm. and you're almost getting a little cocky and arrogant. In a way, yeah, but it's easily done, isn't it? When you're in that situation, you start winning and you start going, oh, I'm quite, you know, maybe you can get cocky and arrogant. We've seen it with lots of actors when suddenly <laughs> the mean, big break happens. it's all in happens. your mind. It's all it's, in but your it's mind. But it's in your mind, yeah. It's not real yet. Everyone's been there. And, so yeah. you just want to be a little more confident by being a little arrogant, you think. 
But then when we go to uh, right after that huge release in China, it mm-hmm. was Sundance right around the corner. Yeah. So I went to Sundance. I guess I was cocky, you know, along the road, you know, mm-hmm. you know with all this success and so on and so forth. But then the publicist got me aside, you know, like uh, saying, and do you know there's some tips about public speech and also uh, certain things. I, I, I was figuring how oh, I did, I did two, at least 200 public speech in China already. Wow, I mean, wow. what else could be new? Yes. So, I, so I, I was <laughs> listening to him and he said three words, humble, humble, humble. <laughs> and you went, what are you talking about? Shut up. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, which was like a, a ready uh, totally hit me. And then, uh, you know, I registered 200%. And then it stayed with me till today. It's all about being humble. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so because I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, that's really everything. It really is. And it's so, it's actually really lovely of that PR person, you know, that uh, the, at the time to say that to you and actually go, Hey, I just, wasn't that not, and, and, you know, maybe you've never seen them again or in the future, but I how, don't, yeah. how amazing that they shaped your career to not be that arrogant person. And, you know, I know, I know. isn't that amazing? Doesn't make you uh, look attractive. No, no, it doesn't. And how amazing <laughs> that that happened to you and in the right time at the right place yeah, that then yeah. when you went to speak at Sundance, I imagine the doors must have opened in terms of, you know, Shadow Magic was a huge hit in terms of people heard about it, the awards. What happened afterwards for you as a director? Did it open a lot of doors? Were people throwing themselves at you, agents, managers, more projects? What happened? Well, yes. Uh, you know, I got a manager and who's like a touring me around Hollywood. But I, since I'm like uh, basically, I was based in New York all these years. And so I had to fly to Hollywood like uh, uh, every two months and staying a month. And just to show my commitment and, uh, you know, so basically I would go from like a uh, studio to studio to studio just mm-hmm. to say hello. Mm-hmm. And uh, so people would think about you when they have a project. Right. And I did that for two years. Oh my gosh. I heard a uh, joke, not a joke, but I heard a story, a saying, yeah. like uh, when a person goes to Hollywood and laying down on the sand of, uh, on the beach of uh, Santa Monica, and you make a turn that was 20 years over. So so I was thinking, you know, it's just so true. So forget about all this. Mm. Because, I mean, it's not happening. You cannot wait until people give you jobs. You yeah. know, I mean, especially in film industry, you got to be uh, self-producing. <laughs> it's so true. And it, I've heard that quite a few times. Um, the Duplass brothers said that after their first, I think, Puffy Chair did well at Sundance. And then they was like, come to LA, come and talk. And they just went from meeting yeah. to meeting to meeting and spending yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. And nothing happened. It was all maybe. So they went, we're just going to go make something ourselves. We're, we're sick of this. And that Holly was like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And they're like, why not? I need to make movies here. And and it's fascinating. You felt the same way. It's like that constant. It must. Have, how did you survive during that time as well? Well, you know, you know, I had a first career that I was in business for the business. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I did extremely well somehow. So 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 I I sort of like got a uh, financial independence in a sense. You know, Perfect. like uh, okay. yeah. So I I could actually I find it's much easier to make money than to raise money. That's <laughs> another that's another thing I found. That instead of to raise money, I mean, raising money 
it's really about publicizing your film mm -hmm. that's like a, or your project mm. that's like a, what it's meant for it's not about really like really getting the money so i would do that anyway but on the other side i think you know it's so much easier to make money somewhere else and then to support your uh, film career i love that and how incredible your business must have been so you know, great. The fact that you could put in half a million into your first one is incredible. So well done you, you know, very impressive, very impressive. And you could survive during that time is great as well. But did it kind of derail you a little bit? Because actually maybe if you hadn't been able to support yourself, you would have been like, I need to work. I need to make another film. Do you think you might have pushed harder earlier to get another film off the ground? I feel like if I had started earlier, you know, like a, because it took me five years to really get Shadow Magic made, mm -hmm. if it only took me two years to get Shadow Magic, then actually I would be able to make many more films, you know, mm -hmm. more films, not many. But I, I mean, like when I was making Beauty Remains, again, I was doing fundraising for a while, but after a while, I just decided to go ahead. And then you have to settle for, you know, I mean, a small but whatever small budget can buy you. And uh, it does show. I mean, however, it is still a grandeur on a shoestring kind of, you know, effect. Yeah, but it's definitely not a $30 million film, you know. Exactly. Yeah, that you can tell. But the thing is, uh, through the process, I did realize that I am a independent filmmaker mm. because I was offered actually I was offered by Miramax to uh, you know like uh, to do this uh, Peter Pan's film you know like so they sent me this Peter Pan um, right after Shadow Magic they sent me this uh, um, script right and uh, then uh, I uh, I liked it and so then uh, we so so we got into a meeting so we began to talk and uh, you know like silly me I should always listen to what producer really wanted to do right before i uh, offer my two cents so when they asked what do you think so i started to tell them what what i what i was thinking and that was truly a mistake because as soon as you tell them what you're thinking and what you want to do you can bet it's the opposite not 100 percent. it's not it's not 100% what they're thinking. So basically, they don't like independent thinking in a way. They, 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 they want you to be... A molded to what they want already, right? Yeah, basically to realizing what they think, that, uh, what they envisioned it to be. Mm. So after that, I guess, um, you know, I wanted a more complexity, a little more in-depth kind of like character-driven kind of stuff. Uh, no, they want more child, you know, children like like uh, magical, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, all those ching ching stuff. Okay, so you know, so it didn't work out. So I did realize. I mean, you know, for independent filmmakers, that means you have a uh, independent voice, and that voice belongs to you. You're responsible for it. Therefore, don't complain if you don't have money. Try to find money because it's your voice. And you are responsible for it. No one is responsible to pay for your voice. <laughs> so. Love that. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's it's, it's fascinating to hear you say that as well. In fact, there's so many indie filmmakers who listen to this podcast who have been on the podcast as well, who all feel the same. They're all trying to strive to do the bigger projects and get there. But actually, you're already a voice of the independent scene. You're making waves. You're doing things yourself. You're finding money and making stuff happen. And that's a great place to be as a filmmaker because you don't need to be bowing down to what 
what everyone else wants. And like you say, finding out what the producer wanted first. Well, it's not what I want to yeah. do with this project, but because then you're just going to say, oh, well, I'll do what you want. And then you ended up making yeah. a film that's not really yours. This intermission is brought to you by Massive. <sighs> Massive. Hey Giles, how's it going? Hey Robbie, it's all good. Uh, as we all know, Robbie has left us and joined a huge movie studio. There, his horrible boss has tasked him with developing movie pitches. What amazing Oscar-winning story do we need to crack this week? Well, you know my boss Giles, I mean he's obsessed with transferring things, moving things from one location to another. Mm. So this week, he really wants to make a movie about Tom Cruise. He's trapped in a nudist colony with some sort of suitcase bomb uh -huh. and he needs to get it to space wow all right okay and we've got a few minutes to crack it Jeez. the main thing i'm trying to work out is where's he hiding this bomb right he's fully nude he's got to hide this undetected how about in his scrotum that all wrapped up brilliant choice i can't see anything going wrong with that no exactly it's not too dissimilar <laughs> to the masks he wears in the Impossible films. That's right. You can't tell the difference between his scrotum and an old man's face. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, perfect. You know. Only other issue you have is how to get him out of there. Well, this film's budget is massive, so why not ask Elon Musk to use one of his totally eco-friendly rockets and you can transfer him away. And you can't beat a film with Tom Cruise Full G4 stuff while carrying a bomb in his scrotum, totally naked. Boom. Well, Charles, I mean, I, I, I couldn't be more pleased. My boss is going to love this. He's, uh, I think, I think it's promotion time. I mean, the film is just going to be a massive hit. Mm. Don't transfer your bad movie ideas to anyone. Instead, transfer your great movie ideas with massive. Massive's pay-as-you-go models designed to ship big files in record time. Sign up for Massive today using massive.io forward slash filmmakers and get 100 gigabytes free towards your transfer. That's massive.io forward slash filmmakers. Link is in the show notes. On Confetti then, how did you work with the, with the actors that was different from before? Was there anything you did differently? You know, because Confetti is such beautiful performances. How do you work with your actors? Do you, do you talk to them before? Obviously, you've done your storyboards and you, you've, you've done all your research that you need. But again, it's based on your life. So how, how did you talk to your actors, you know, on set and off? I feel every actor is different. So there's no set rule that you want to talk to them. If there is a set rule, is that you've got to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Take care of them as if you're taking care of your children. In a sense, regardless how senior they are, how experienced they are, they're trusting their moments, themselves, into to your hand. And they're vulnerable. Because, you know, like whenever it's your instrument that's opening up, that you cannot evaluate or judge objectively. You really have to depend on the director to tell you, to guide you, right? Number one is that you got to love them. And then number two, you see where is their specialty? You know, are they unique in certain way? And try to take that uniqueness and to celebrate that. And then instead of insisting my way, you got to do this, you got to show that, you will say, okay, at this point, she is, you know, very... Uh, traumatized by the news, let's say, okay. And so, I mean, that, what is this scene about? Okay, as to how do you want to demonstrate that? You know, like in the past, I would say you probably want to come in and you do this. And, but this time I just leave to them and I see how they are actually 
pouring out their emotions. And then that becomes much more authentic. And then there are times, of course, everyone has a limitation. It's difficult to hit the mark Mm -hmm. every time. And uh, uh, the male uh, lead, the Chinese guy who played the husband, if he talks and if he sits down and delivers a line, that would seem to be stiff. Somehow it would always appear stiff. So I said, well, you always walk and talk and a smoke and a talk at the same time. Meaning whenever you're delivering, whenever you're delivering, you're doing things, you got to do something. So your body is occupied, your mind is free. Mm. So your mind is putting into your action instead of being self-conscious. Mm. I think, so that really helped very much. So you see him smoking constantly. You know why he smokes? <laughs> because he, 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 he acts better when he smokes, when he does things, you know? Mm. So, yeah. So I said, just keep yourself active all the time. You know, always bodily active. Do things. And then for Amy Irving, it's totally different. And she's so experienced, as you mm-hmm. know. And mm-hmm. she's like a well-trained and she's from a uh, British uh, Academy, you know, Royal Academy kind of a training, performing background. Yeah. So she's yeah. very thorough. Her method was very, very strong. I remember that we had a scene that is supposed to happen in her bathroom that was very tiny. And then she was supposed to, you know, be in on, uh, in her wheelchair to go into the bathroom. And there was a broken shower head and uh, no, no water, no shower. But then at the end of the film, she accidentally walked into the bathroom. Suddenly she saw this new shower head and it was mm-hmm. a pouring, um, you know, shower. And so she realized actually... Um, her tenants, you know, Lan really cared about her and just doing things for her. And I mean, it's subtle, right? Mm. But the thing is, she she came in and she saw this beautiful shower steaming poured into this tub that had a whirlpool. So she is like a, her past, and so she's like reflecting, and she she reaches her resolve, and then she cries. Okay, so basically that's the script. But at the time we shoot. You know that tiny bathroom was only three feet long, and in, in, and 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 inside of the tub was packed with you know like a DP camera and the, the boomer yeah, exactly, and the yeah. lighter, you know, five six of them, and then you know like very tired after I don't know how many hours of you know shooting, they all looked dreadful. Okay, <laughs> they're staring at her. <laughs> so yeah. she had to she had to row in for less than one one foot and then began to cry so suddenly i heard her yelling out and saying quiet everyone i need to see god in two minutes so basically you know the set was quiet yeah we started rolling and i was watching you know the monitor and i saw her face i mean you know, every inch she was rolling in I mean, you could see this emotion coming up mm-hmm. and then it's like many past years of pain and the loss. Then tear began to come up. You know, it's like, it's not that she saw this waterfall or, waterfall or this water pool, right? Mm-hmm. It was this all dreadful filmmakers, right? It was like this close, up close personal. And the concentration, I mean, you know, she had, and just, you, and, and it's authentic. It's not like a, it's not like a fake, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you can see all these deep emotions that she was able to reach 
and deliver. Mm. You know, so so you don't really have to say much. You know, no. she she could yeah, she just she could do it. Yeah. And afterwards I gave her a hug, you know, like uh, I said thank you. But I mean, you know, like for the best pro- professional actor, you don't really need to do anything actually. You're right, yeah, because they they've done this, they've been here, they know, they've come prepared. They they, ha- they have the skill. They have the skill, yeah. And you've talked to them beforehand in detail about the role, about it, and if they need to cry and deliver an experience, they can do it, which is beautiful um, to hear. How was shooting Confession then for you? Did you enjoy it? Like you say, you seemed you, you said you changed. Did you enjoy the shooting process of it? I thought I would, but I really didn't. Because it was so difficult mm. because I was raising my daughter and I concentrated. And so gradually I really had to uh, give up uh, everything but to live and work for my daughter. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, for, so for many years, I was like uh, concentrating on internal growth. Like I read and I meditate and I was like with all this, you know, very peaceful people and I read and deep into this uh, karma and all that soulful thing, right? Mm, sure. So I, I, so I felt very strong. I felt like uh, all in place and uh, no conflict and with my co- co- compassion, with my flexibility, things would work out with everyone. But um, I think, you know, since the first day, the second, I realized it was totally different. It was like a survival battle. In that uh, battlefield, if you do not draw your sword, okay, and you're going to be slaughtered. And then, you know, it's like you don't belong here. So, wow, okay. So, by the third day, I guess, you know, I may just have to become a soldier, you know, like uh, to have all the armors, mm-hmm. uh, shining armors, mm. and then uh, to, to act tough. Yeah, to go to battle. To go to war, and it's hard to do that, isn't it? Like you say, it's really you. It's really hard to then every day put on the battle gear, get your sword out, and go right. I've got to fight this today. That that's that's tough. And I ask myself why. It's not about people are good or bad. Mm. It's about it's your vision, right? But everyone wants their vision too. You know, in everything, if you insist on having something your way, yep. you will face every time, you know, resistance. And that resistance is inevitable, regardless how you try to sugarcoat it. I mean, you know, you may just have to call up people to share your vision and help you out. But it's in human nature. Everyone wants their own creativity. And you want that. Because, you know, if they don't have an independent voice, they're just copying or they're just trying to accommodate you, it will not be their best work. So the work really comes out from the battlefield, like between you and the clash of you and the other person. But the thing is, they just have to deal with you. But of course, they have to deal with their situation as well. But you are dealing with every single one of them. It's like all around you. And I remember I was reading a um, a book by Sidney Sidney Lumet. Sidney Lumet, Lumet, yes, yeah. Yeah, and and, then he said that one night he went back home and he began to cry. And his wife said, what happened? He said, why it's so difficult? Why do you have to fight with everyone? You know, for everything you want, anything you need, you have to fight for it. Mm. So that's why I really do not enjoy the set. You know, to some people, it's a party. 
but to you, it's never a party because you are the person who's responsible for it. Mm-hmm. You just yep. worry. You just keep on worrying, worrying, worrying. Yes, that's difficult. Yeah, I would have to say I don't. I don't miss that. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. On to moving forward onto your next film. How do you think you'll be able to cope with that differently? That worry and having to put on the battle armor. You have to work with people you already worked with. So you know, you know where the boundary is. Yes. And there, first of all, there's no ego uh, experiment because people will try your ego, their ego, and you have to, you know, go a few rounds to for everyone to settle back. You know, like uh, okay, so now we have that. Okay, so mm-hmm. now now let's live, right? <laughs> okay. Yes. And uh, so you, you know, it takes time to get that over with, first stage over with. But if you work with the people you know, you already know where you know he's good at where is his limitation and you try to avoid that limitation and to accommodate it with something else and the loyalty is better and uh, you know like um personality clash is more less mm-hmm. and people are more concentrated in working than um, human stuff i think you know it's like uh, from every production you keep a few good ones that yes. can work well with you. Mm-hmm. And gradually you have a, you know, like an old crew, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, that becomes gold standard. Totally. It makes sense why people use the same crew over and over because yeah. you, you know each other's rhythms. You know, you've had your shouting match, you've had your whatever, and now you can work together to make the best film possible. Working with new people can be tough sometimes. And that's a, that's a lesson for people who are new going on to other people's set. You know, don't be difficult, you know. And with Every new person, you have to go through a learning curve. Mm-hmm. You know, with every new person, if you work with every any new person, you have to go through this learning curve, mm. and that's costly. It takes time, and when you are like uh, not busy, it's very interesting. It's exciting to have new friends because you're finding out. That process becomes enjoyable. But when you're on the set, you know, you don't have time for it and you become very uh, anxious. And so everyone's short tempered mm-hmm. and you got into an argument like uh, then, you know, everything becomes difficult. Yeah. And that's not a good place to be, especially when you're so tired no, and you're working no, all the hours. Yeah, it's just really difficult. What advice can you give, do you think, from all your experiences to some really exciting young, no, it doesn't have to be young, but some really exciting up-and-comer filmmaker who's maybe about to embark on their first or second film? I think if you're a filmmaker at this point, I think you should own your own property in a sense that write your own script mm. or you buy the right of a book that you really enjoy. Without that, you don't really have a piece of land uh-huh. to build to build on anything. I mean, if you imagine people will give you a piece of land to build your project, that's a dream that still happens. But, you know, like uh, it's just uh, the odds are not really there. I mean, if you really want to move forward, uh, effectively, you know, you really have to have a, a good script. And that script, regardless how you find it, I mean, you have to own it. And then once you have that, you, you begin to build. You know, you, you gather your crew, you send this to studios or financiers or investors, and you try to, you know, like a look for the cast and uh, hopefully you can get some good cast. Then you gradually put this project together. But all starts with uh with a script that's the thing you you have a little control otherwise you have no control 
Totally. Yeah. yeah, it happened on one my first few films I was trying to make that other people had written them and they just get taken away in the end. You can't afford to do the option anymore. Or I, So I started to write my own and suddenly I owned it. It was mine. You can't take this away from me and mm-hmm. I, I can keep pushing this forever and ever. And it does make a huge difference learning to write or at least being involved in the writing process so you own it together. Um, even if someone's a better writer than you or you're not that good at writing or you're not that good at producing, learn from other people. Um, totally it's great advice thank you thank you um, Confetti is out uh, in America on the 20th of August uh, USA and Canada any other release date is it just America at the moment that you know about well we're doing the US release I hope that the COVID situation will not really uh, become more difficult and uh, but regardless we're trying to push through and the uh, people are vaccinated so we ask people to come in I mean everyone here in New York after 16 so we have to show your vaccine uh, vaccine card so basically everyone came to the theater are vaccinated and they can choose to wear a, a mask so i don't think theaters will shut down and if theaters do not shut down we will have a release so that's like as far as i can i can see i hope this release th- I know, that's goes through again. Yeah, me too. Yeah, really well done. It's beautiful, beautiful film, and it's it's an amazing story you have. And congratulations. Thank you. And I hope you make another film, but I hope you don't hate being on set as much next time. And I hope you can find some joy in there somewhere because <laughs> you're a wonderful filmmaker. And you you know that sometimes for me, I love being on set, and it's the best time for me. Pre-production's difficult. Post is yeah, it's fine too. But I love being on set. This is honestly, this has been amazing. Amazing. You've been a real delight and uh, I loved your openness. I enjoyed our conversation. It's been amazing. Yeah, it's like having a good time with an old friend. That's how I like to do the podcast. That's how it should be. That's what a lot of people say. It seems like you're just good friends having a chat about filmmaking and that's nice. So, And that's what it felt like for me today. So thank you. And remember, you can go out there and make your indie film. You can make it happen. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday at... As always, Anhu, thank you. Thank you, you too. I mean, great meeting you. Yeah. Great meeting you. Take care, everyone. Go out there, make your film, do something this week to make it happen. Take care. Bye bye.